Good evening. Uh, my name is Duke Bendix. I'm on staff here at Grace Covenant, and once again, just delighted to be able to to uh, minister some thoughts and uh, some address some uh, part of the theme that we're looking at. Because it is our 35th anniversary, Pastor Jim Critcher last week introduced a theme that we he started to develop and will conclude next week. But it's raising the question of what's in a name. What is in our name particularly? Grace, covenant, church. Those three words cover a tremendous amount of ground. And last week, Pastor Jim uh, kind of did a flyover, really, of what grace is. He kind of brought us to the place of considering all of the things that grace does for us, what God does through his grace ministered into our lives. Uh, it is by grace that we, that we have life at all. It's by virtue of the fact of God's goodness that he ministers, that he does what he does, and that we have the things that we do enjoy. It's by the power of God's goodness. That's what my understanding of grace is. There's a lot of different definitions of grace. Pastor Jim referenced some last week. Unmerited favor is the one that we probably hear the most often. Some while back, I felt like the Lord really gave me an, uh, an impression that grace is the power of the goodness of God at work. God is good in all that he does, and when he exercises his goodness, there, or rather that power, it comes through the good things that he does, and we understand that as God's grace, that God's goodness is ministered to us in so many different ways. As uh, Pastor Jim mentioned, from our standing in justification to our empowerment for service to our ability to walk right before God and ultimately to the completed work in our lives, all of this is by grace. You know grace is powerful when Pastor Jim passes up the uh, Krispy Kreme donut place. Well, actually, he didn't pass it up. You remember that? <laughs> there was sin in the house, but grace covered he only got three. But it's a marvelous God. You know, God parts the Red Sea, he raises the dead, and he limits Jim Critcher to three Krispy Kreme donuts. So it's, a, it's an absolute spectrum of the power of God right there. It's the grace of God, though, that, and what he was getting at was grace teaches us to say no. And that is the power of God working in our lives. And it was a great example of just in a humorous fashion that grace works in every aspect of our life. And we put that word in our name because it means something that we have to own. Where do you go to church? Well, I go to Grace Covenant Church. Those words need to mean something to us who identify with this church. Now, I got it. Some of you, if there's anyone here visiting tonight or visiting on a Sunday, we want you to understand what we understand Grace Covenant Church means and what we draw from that name. I, I was thinking more about the, the idea of names, and names identify. They serve to distinguish one thing or a person from another. And in doing so, they help us relate to that thing properly. How many of you know it's good to know when you see a snake, whether it's a cobra or a garter snake? Name has a lot. Yeah, okay, I, I relate to those two very differently. 
So the naming of something helps us know how to relate to it. Additionally, names provide a sense of identity. They communicate something about what is so named. Names have, they can have a defining influence. Now, many of the names that we use today, I don't suppose maybe we think in those terms, but it's always interesting to go back and look up the meaning of your own name and say, how close does this name describe what I am? And it's not uncommon that it really does kind of cover some of the the ways in which you are. But I think when it comes to an institution or an entity like a church, names ought to be more than just a description of what they're about. They really ought to convey something about who they are, what they believe, what they hold to. As such, a name can be a marker, a reference point, whereby a person or organization can measure itself. Are we living up to our name? Are we as good as our name? Are we learning what it means to live in the fullness? And when you've got a name like Grace Covenant Church, you've got a lot to live, live up to and live for and learn how to live in. And that's why we're going to be looking tonight at the second word in our name, covenant. I like the organization, the, the, the uh, church family that we're a part of, because you talk about a name that is something to live up to. Our name is every nation. And it reflects the purpose, the intent that we have to see churches and ministries planted in every nation in the world. So the very name that we have provide, or that the organization has is something of a marker. Are we moving forward to that? Are we living up to that? Well, Grace Covenant Church, as I've said, each part of our name describes and affirms who we are and what we hold to. It's part of what makes us distinct. Our name expresses key elements of what we believe and what we hold as our central expression. Now, you may have never thought of this in these terms at all, and that's why it's good to be able to just stand and talk and teach you some tonight so that maybe your understanding of what gives rise to this church and what this church is about can be broadened and enriched. And in doing so, you can have more of an understanding of what it is that you're a part of. And I don't mean as a part of this church. I mean what you're a part of when you own and and enter into the reality of grace, of covenant, and as we'll talk about next week, of being part of a church. So that's why we're looking at this. There's something substantive here. You know, I I think... uh, I think it's good to just step back and a 35th anniversary, it's such a great opportunity to do that. So what is covenant describing? What does it mean and what does it tell us about who we are as being this body of people that uh, God, we, we understand and relate to God under this name, Grace Covenant Church? What is covenant? First of all, covenant is integral. It is central to all the Bible. But we hear the, the term probably very rarely. When we speak of the Old Testament and the New Testament, we are talking about God's history dealing with the people of Israel under the, under the, the precepts and directives largely of the Old Covenant. 
And with the coming of Jesus Christ and the establishment of, we'll talk, touch on a little bit tonight, of the new covenant and how God has, is forming what he's doing through the, the outworking of that covenant. So what you have in the Bible is God doing the, his great task, and, and we'll talk about what that is in a moment, but the thing God is doing, he's doing, and he's doing it through covenant. Now, what is covenant? What, what, does, what does, does that describe? Biblically understood, Wayne Grudem writes this, that covenant is an unchangeable, divinely imposed agreement between God and man that stipulates the conditions of their relationship. In other words, it, it, God sets out what he's going to do and what he wants us to do, and he does this for the express purpose of getting us into a place where we can be blessed by him. This is what covenant is about. Covenant is something God initiates because he chooses to do so and he offers as a means of blessing. The, the relationship, when you look at the Old Testament and you find God doing what he did in bringing Israel out of Egypt in Exodus, you find the laws that he lays out in those books that we kind of avoid reading like Leviticus and Numbers, sometimes Deuteronomy. What we find in the prophets is the God sending people to confront Israel because they've violated the covenant. He's, he's not just pointing fingers. He's trying to get people to engage and understand, and, and not even to understand, but to re-engage with what his purpose was in bringing them into covenant with himself in the first place. Covenant in God's terms can be received or rejected, but it cannot be changed. God has this little problem. He thinks he's God. What he says and what he extends, we can either receive it or we can reject it, but we can't change it. Covenant is something that's extremely old. It predates Moses. It predates Abraham. Uh, it is basically, uh, as the bit, a little bit of history I've, I've learned about this and, and, and heard is that in ancient history, covenant was entered into to form treaties and was usually confirmed by ritual, a cutting of covenant. This ritual, now what, what think of any treaty between two powers, a greater power and a lesser power. And they want the lesser power needs the protection of the greater power. The greater power obviously is wanting something for its services to the lesser power. And so these two entities, two kings, two princes, two whatevers, come together to form a treaty. So they stipulate in the treaty what each will do. The greater power will, will provide X, Y, and Z, military protection, uh, you know, help in this, whatever. The lesser power will be obedient, will be available, maybe pay taxes or something like that. All of this 
in, the, in this very old form would have been put on a clay tablet in cuneiform. Or this is how we know about it because we found these tablets or archaeologists have found this and they figured out this is how they did treaties. And they would write down on the tablet what the stipulations were, what was agreed upon, and they would make up a copy of this tablet for each of the two parties. And then they would give another copy of that tablet to each of the two parties to put that tablet in front of their respective gods. So that the parties would have a reference as to what was expected and their gods would bear witness as to whether or not they were following the covenant. And then once they did this, they would enter into this treaty ceremony, this ritual of cutting covenant. And what that oftentimes involved was taking animals, sometimes very large animals, killing them and cutting them in half. And then pulling the halves apart, entrails and all, so as to make a pathway between the halves of the animals and then the parties entering into the covenant would walk down that path. Well, what they were doing as they did that is they were establishing two or three important things. Number one, the oath that they had made in this covenant was valuable. It had cost life. Granted, it was the animals' lives, but still, there was value in the life that it had cost to seal this covenant. So it was serious. The second thing was it was sacred. What was being agreed upon was going to be witnessed by their respective gods. So they had a a moral responsibility, if you will, to maintain the covenant. And in the death of the animals... It speaks of, in the dismemberment of the animals, it speaks of the penalty if you didn't keep the covenant. So all of these things were bound up in this ritual. Now, I talk about this because when God wanted to reveal his commitment to Abraham or to Noah or to David or starting with Adam or to you, but particularly in those with Abraham, we have an example of this very thing in Genesis 15, this kind of a covenant cutting. He used something that mankind had been doing for a long time, not because he didn't know about it, but because that reflected something of his nature. He adopted that picture, that type, and he used it as a way of relating to his people he said i'm going to enter into covenant with you i am going to bind myself to you for the sake of my purpose and for the sake of ultimately your good now what i'm what i'm hoping one of the takeaways will be from this this evening is that you will go away and understand that behind your faith stands the unshakable purpose of God to do something that he has set himself inexorably to do. Hebrews 6, 13 through 14 and verse 17 and 19 says this, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom he could swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and I will multiply you. 
So when God desired to show more convincingly, see, here's what God's after. He wants this to be an absolute certainty in the hearts and minds and faith of his people. And so what he does is he does what he doesn't need to do. This isn't the lesser going to the greater. This is the greater stooping down to the lesser. Binding him in an agreement, binding himself to these people in a way that he would not have to do. He could simply say, I'm God, you go with the flow and forget anything else. But instead, he relates to us as people whom he wants to have believe in him without question. He goes on, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose... The unchangeable character of his purpose. Do you know God has an unchangeable character or an unchangeable purpose for you, for me, for this house? God doesn't think things up on the way to the meeting. He has an unchangeable purpose and he wants his people to know that he's solid in what he's going to do. He's going to be faithful. He's going to be true. He's going to be inexorable without any, any change, any wavering whatsoever. And in order to communicate that, in order to reveal that, he does what he did with Abraham. He guaranteed it with an oath. He guaranteed it with a covenant. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. See, one of the things that we, and and I've got to scoot along here because we do have we have baptisms tonight, and why baptisms are so are so neat in this particular notion is that. In the New Testament, in, in the Old Testament, the way covenant was marked and entered into was through circumcision. In the New Testament, the way covenant is affirmed and entered into and publicly displayed is water baptism. So the people, we don't normally think of it in these terms, but the folks being baptized tonight are entering into the new covenant in Jesus Christ's blood. And so these these comments are appropriate by way of leading us into water baptism, but I just want to underscore a, a, a thing or two about what it is that God wants us to take away when we consider what is going on. What is the meaning of covenant? What's the point of all of this? And here I'm just going to step back and comment on the on kind of scan through Scripture. Throughout Scripture, God's overarching covenant purpose, going back to Adam and being clearly set out first with Abraham and then with Israel at Mount Sinai, was this. God intends to have a people of his own, and he will be their God. Now we say, well, why is that big news? Folks, Only God can bring that about. God intends to have a people of his very own. Genesis 17. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you through their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. 
Jeremiah 31, 33, I will be their God and they shall be my people. Jeremiah 32, 38, and they shall be my people and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children. I will make with them an everlasting covenant. One of the reasons why it's hard for us, I think, to relate to covenant is because in our culture, in our society, in our te- with our technology, everything is immediate, everything is continually changing, and for many and many respects, we've lost touch with the overarching things that give continuity to our lives. Family is almost cast aside. Technology, it's always the new. We're always pressing forward. And yet here's God dealing with his creation and saying, what I want you to understand is I have a purpose that extends out beyond you, that preceded you, and you have a part in that great purpose. But I am going to have a people of my very own. I am going to have a people who are called by my name. I am going to have a people who, are, who reflect the covenant that I have made. I won't go through all of the passages of Scripture for time's sake. First Peter, well, Second Corinthians, New Testament reference, Paul explaining why we have no business being yoked to those who don't believe. For we are a temple of the living God. And this is quoting from the Old Testament. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Do we think in those terms? Do we think of getting up in the morning and saying, Lord, today I want to not only walk with you, but I want to find out how you're walking with those whom I'm joined with, who am I, with whom I am joined. How do we walk together in the purposes of God? This is part of, this is, this is only an introductory scan of covenant because we can look at it in so many different ways. How our relationships are to be walked out in, in light of covenant. But for tonight, I just want to establish this reality that God is intent upon having a people for himself. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, we look, at the, we look at the immediacy of that. We look at what God has done by way of deliverance, and we are so grateful and so glad. But what he's doing is he's joined us with others that through the testimony of that people, something of his glory can shine forth. Something about his nature can be on display. We are to be a city set on a hill, a light in the darkness, not just individually, we need, to be, we need to be covenant individuals, but we need to discover what does it look like to be a royal priesthood, not just royal priests, a royal priesthood, to be a holy nation, not just a holy citizen, but a holy nation. See, there's bigger things going on here. That's the point. There's something more than my own individual expression, satisfaction, security, well-being, as important as all that is. And God loves us and his grace is to that end so often. But we've got to understand his grace is given to us as a people, as a church. We are a covenant people. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, do I understand what that means? 
and am I living up to that? One of the things that's inherent to the whole notion of covenant is blood. Blood speaks of life. When blood is spilt, life is lost. To be realized in the blessing, and, but that same life is to be realized in the blessing of covenant. See, the covenant, even the Old Testament, even the law was secured with the covenant blood of hyssop and the, and the blood of cows and goats being sprinkled upon the people. I have this picture of Moses and Aaron dipping these mops and just spraying the people because blood had to be shed and spread in order to ratify the covenant. And in doing so, that people were marked as a holy people. Our new covenant is ratified by the blood of God himself. Inestimable value, beyond description. And this is the blood that we, by which we are able to enter in and to partake of the covenant that we are now recipients of. By this covenant, we have the knowledge and assurance that God has bound himself to always be with us. Because of the covenant, we can confidently say in Psalm 73, but for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. And God has joined himself with us because only in him joining with us can we be joined to him. By covenant, God has people who can now live with him and they can do so in a way that pleases him. He has a people among whom he can and will live. He has a people among whom he can and will live. Last things Jesus talked to his disciples about was, I will come and make my abode with you. I will come and dwell with you. This is the covenant by which we are named a covenant of grace, a covenant of promise, of assurance and hope. God has committed himself, basically, what have I said? God's committed himself since Adam to have a people of his own among whom he could live and through whom he could extend the blessing of his will to all the earth. When Adam broke the covenant he had with God, God set out to accomplish a great redemption and with that a great restoration and he did so through covenant from Abraham and ultimately through the covenant we've received in Christ. The newest, the new covenant established in Christ, based upon the virtue of his death and ratified by the shedding of his blood, is now the vehicle of God's redemptive work in the earth. And we affirm that uh, by participating, by, by being named Grace Covenant Church. We're affirming that we're part of that.